joy to be with you. I better turn this on, I guess. Can you hear me better now? Lisa and I rejoice in, in your fellowship. We have indeed already sensed a, a great deal of edification being in a congregation like this with sound uh, sense of worship. We are grateful to be with you. We're thankful for your partnership. And as we work with uh, like-minded churches, we bring you greetings from brothers and sisters as far away as Indonesia. The church in Indonesia, I remember when I was a little boy, my father would tell us that Christians in Indonesia of all kinds uh, were amounting to about 2.5% of the population. Well, today, uh, the government itself uh, says that they are about 19% of the population, but actually, in reality, they are close to 30%. And... Uh, it's exciting to see how the gospel is making inroads in this uh, large uh, country that is considered the largest uh, Muslim population. But I would like to ask you to also think of those who greet you from Pakistan through Murph. The church in Pakistan uh, is small, it's growing more slowly, and they're facing many more difficulties than in Indonesia. So remember to pray for them and for the churches in Syria and Iraq who have gone through difficulties, to the small community of believers in Yemen. This is a very difficult time for all people in Yemen, but especially also for Christians. And I bring you greetings from churches in Lebanon, in Syria, in uh, Jordan, in uh, Egypt. There are single congregations in each of Kuwait, Bahrain, uh, Dubai, uh, uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, Sultanate of Oman, and many Presbyterian churches in Ethiopia, in the Nile Valley between Egypt, North and South Sudan. There are probably four million Presbyterians in the Nile Valley. And uh, it's wonderful that we can together partner with them and you in proclaiming the Word of God the whole council of God. And we turn to the whole council of God. This morning, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, reading from verse 15. And remember, young people, brothers and sisters, remember this is not man's word, but the life-giving word of the living God. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, 
it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law, but the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise of by faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian into Christ until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God's Word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. And it is our prayer this morning, that the will of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would implant His Word not only in our minds, but also in our hearts, and that He will heal our wills so that, indeed, we will live according to His Word. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, the title that is in the bulletin here is the ultimate purpose of Abraham's divine calling, the blessing of all nations. I would like to suggest a revision of it. I would like to suggest that the ultimate objective of the Word of God is the blessing of all nations through the seed of Abraham. Now, Paul was a fanatical Jew before he was converted. He thought he was doing God a favor by suppressing those who belonged to Jesus Christ. And it took him, after conversion, three years in Arabia 
to change his understanding of the Bible. And now, he is ministering through this epistle to believers at Galatia who were disturbed by people who are somehow fanatical like he was. Now, these people were ethnic Jews. And they had some kind of connection to Christ. I would say I have serious doubts about their gospel because Paul himself in chapter 1 says about these people, the Judaizers, who were disturbing the Gentile believers at Galatia. He says that they are proclaiming a different gospel, the Greek word eteros. And he says it is not alos, it is not another gospel, it is a different gospel. And certainly the gospel they were preaching was like this. Christ is okay. We're glad you believe in Christ. We believe in him too. But it's not enough. You have to really come and join our ethnic, religious affiliation. You really have to become Jews like us. How? You have to be circumcised. Now, Paul, of course, stood against this. He proclaimed the true gospel. And the true gospel is that Christ has done it all. Christ has fulfilled it all. That's what, that's what Jesus spent. Forty days after his resurrection, before his ascension, opening the minds of his people, especially the apostles, to understand the scriptures. Now, I urge you, this morning, take the time and go read the last part of Luke. And you understand what the Bible is all about. Now, I plead with all my heart before the Lord that evangelicals in America and everywhere begin to understand what Jesus was doing for 40 days. Because 10 days after Jesus rose from the dead, and as, uh, pardon me, after 40 days, Jesus, pardon me, 40 days he remained after he rose from the dead. 10 days after he ascended came the day of Pentecost. And what were they doing? For 10, d- 10 days... They were meeting together in the temple, practicing what Jesus taught them. And what did Jesus teach them? It's all about me. He said, all scriptures, the law and the prophets and the Psalms are all fulfilled in me. They're all complete. Now, Paul was not with them for three years when Jesus also taught that he had to spend three years in Arabia changing his view of understanding the Old Testament 
And he came to this conclusion that we see here. And he's saying, stop disturbing the people of God. And he begins with something very simple, very understandable. Two people, three people, four people get together and they have an agreement. He says, humanly speaking, if you have an agreement, that's how he begins. A human example. If you have an agreement and you are really a person of your word, you do not change it. You do not add to it. You do not subtract from it. That's what human beings do. So he says, what about God? What about God? God made a promise to Abraham. And what was his promise to Abraham? And that's what you and I need to understand. You go back to Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham. It's a very simple and short passage, three verses. They begin by, telling, by God telling Abraham, you leave your family, you leave your land, you go to a place you do not know yet, but I'll show you. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. At the end of verse 3, he says, and the Hebrew actually can be better translated consequently as a result all families of the earth will be blessed through you. And in chapter 18, that is repeated again, but he said to him, through your seed, because in chapter 15, he said to him, well, you are going to die, your, your uh, descendants are going to be enslaved for 400 years, uh, and Abraham died, and he died in peace. Now, chapter 22, verse 18, you see that he says, it's going to be in your seed. Now, Paul says here, God did not need many seeds. God had a plan for a seed through Abraham, an offspring. The translation here uses offspring rather than seed. And this seed is Christ. Now, did God change his mind? Look at the simple logic Paul is making here. The law and the nation that came 430 years after God made the promise to Abraham. Did this nation and the law annul the promise of God? And the promise of God is through Christ. That's the seed. Did God change his mind? Of course not, Paul says here. So why did God then bring this calling to Abraham, the establishing of the nation, the giving of the land, and the law? He says two reasons. 
The first reason is because of transgressions. The law keeps telling us that you are sinners. The law keeps telling us that you are hopeless sinners. The law keeps telling us that you cannot do anything to save yourself. The law keeps reminding us of a second thing. God has promised Abraham a seed. And this seed was already, notice, that seed was already promised to none but Satan himself. When God spoke to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he said, there will be a seed of the woman. Now, the seed of the woman, not the seed of man, because he will be a new man, only receiving a human body through Mary, not related to first Adam, because his soul, just like first Adam before the fall, his soul would, be, would come from the Holy Spirit. Now, this promise Seed needed to come through a line that would be recognized. So that not anybody would say, oh, I am, I am the promised seed. No, the promised seed had to be identified and recognized. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, because of sin and because of the hopelessness of sin, God, who is Wonderfully, wonderfully gracious, wonderfully self-giving. You read about that in Isaiah. You read about that in Jeremiah. You read about that in, uh, in the Psalms. In Isaiah 59, around verse 15 there, verse 16, it says, no one could do it. Then his own arm brought salvation. Throughout the Old Testament, Jesus spent those 40 days telling them, look, Psalm 23, look, I am the good shepherd. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul says, you don't understand it. The Bible, the call to Abraham, the nation had one purpose. And that is to bless all families of the earth. Now that Jesus came, he says, that is faith. That's not the law. That's what justifies. That's what makes you right with God. We don't need that anymore. Now I wish, but God knows better. Because sometimes between myself, I'm, I mean with myself, I say, I wish God would have through Paul there said, uh, you don't need the nation anymore. But then I realize that there are other parts of the Scriptures that say you are the nation, the holy nation. We are the nation promised to Abraham. We are the royal priesthood. So Paul says here, if you belong to Christ, then you are the people of God. Look at verse 26. 
In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. How? Through faith. The only way to be the children of God, the sons and daughters of God, is through faith in this one. The seed of Abraham. The seed promised to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. The seed that came through the Virgin Mary. And that's only that's the only way to God. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened? As he said, it is completed, it is finished. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Heaven was opened. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. I am the door. I am the gate of the sheep. Brothers and sisters, Paul is telling these people, stop it. Stop your religion. Please tell that to your friends. Stop your religion. Your religion is telling people a lie. Your religion is telling people, you can do this and this and this, and then you can appease God. You can bribe God. You can make God happy with you. But the law tells you, you cannot do that. The only hope is God's promised initiative that was fulfilled in Christ. You want to be the people of God? There is one way. And there is only one way. For there is only one God and one mediator between God and man. This one God is also the man, Christ Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, what Jesus has established as the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham, is bringing together people in one body. It's called the church. It's called the body of Christ. In the Old Testament, it was called Zion. In the New Testament, it is the church, the people of God. Now, these people of God come from different backgrounds, and there is no distinction. So he says, the Old Testament sign, circumcision, with its bloody side to it, is no longer there because the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, you know, in, in, uh, uh, when we're working with Muslims, uh, we have one great advantage. We say that, that in the Bible, the, 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 the last and the seal of prophets is John the baptizer. Now, the John the baptizer, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the Jews, right? Now, the, the elders would take me to the woodshed afterwards. You see? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, circumcision is gone. Now we have the symbolic sign and seal of the new covenant using water, referring to the washing that we receive, legally receive, through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus, once for all, 
we are washed. So he says, if you receive Jesus and this sign and seal that belonging to Jesus, then what happens? There is no distinction. I am an Arab. One of the best elders I trained and worked with was a Jew. And if you are white, yeah, good. Nice color in the church. If you're black, nice color in the church. If you are red, if you're blue, if you're green, whatever color, what a, what a colorful thing God has planned. It's a beautiful body. Well, there is no distinction. So he says, there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, slave or free, no class distinction, no color distinction, no ethnic distinction. And the mark of baptism also removed the distinction between male and female because there is only one head to the church. That is the head of the church. And so, males and females receive the sign of baptism. What else do you want, he says. There is no distinction there. Why are you bothering the people of God? Don't you understand the word of God? Don't you understand the purpose of the Bible? The purpose of the Bible was this. That God made a plan to have a people for, his, for himself. A special people for himself. And these people needed a savior. They could not save themselves. And God said, I will take the punishment due to their sins on myself. You cannot do it. I am going to do it for you. This is not religion. Huh? This is not religion. Jesus said about John the baptizer, you see, that's the greatest of all prophets. You know why? Because he alone, like, unlike the previous prophets, he could point to him and said, that's him. The ones before said, he's coming. That's how you recognize him. This is him. Brothers and sisters, now we come to the end. Because Paul doesn't stop it there. He says, you are the children of God through faith in Christ. But guess what? Guess what? These Judaizers don't understand it. Let me explain it to you. If you are in Christ, you are also Jews. If you are in Christ, you are also the seed of Abraham. Really? Yes, yes. Because that is, that was the yeast of faith. Jesus said, look, you say, you are the children of Abraham. No, no, no. If you are so blinded by your religion and by race, then you are not children of God. You are not the people of God. You are the people of the devil. He says to them, if you really were the seed of Abraham, you would believe in me. And he goes on to say in chapter 8 of John, he says, Abraham longed to see my day. And he saw and rejoiced. You know what that means? 
Moses, Abraham, David, Isaac, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Malachi. They said, we're waiting for him. We believe in his promise. We are going to be for sure saved because he planned it. He is going to do it. So you can say, David longed to see the day of Christ, and he saw it. You know what Jesus said about John the baptizer? Rejoice in this. He said, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Of course, he was talking about greater than him before John saw it all happen. John the baptizer died not seeing the cross, not knowing the finished work, not recognizing the resurrection of Christ, the enthronement of Christ. But you and I know it all. We have it in the Scriptures. Don't be confused by all of those people telling you, you need another vision, or you need another revelation, or you need to look for this or that. Don't be. It's all here. Jesus fulfilled it all. He says, if you are in Christ, you are the children of God, and you are the children of Abraham, and notice what else he said, and heirs according to the promise. What did Abraham receive as a promise? He was promised a blessing, to be a blessing. He was promised a land. He was promised a great name. Well, we know the great name that Abraham was promised is the name above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus. He was promised a great blessing, and we know the blessings of the gospel that Abraham longed for. And we know that the symbolic land was only a conduit because Jesus did not accept that land when he said, I am the king of the world. He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. The whole earth is mine. You see, the land was only symbolic to the real kingdom of God that is beyond any geographical limit. Hallelujah! At the end of Galatians, this is my last remark, at the end of Galatians, Paul says, chapter 6, verse 11, notice what I'm writing with big letters. I am sick and tired, he says, of this talk about you needing circumcision. Because there is a new law. And this new law is a new creation. If you are in Christ, you are a new person. And then you are to receive mercy and peace as the Israel of God. You are the Israel of God. Amen? Let's pray. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would seal the benefits of the gospel to each one of us.
adults and children. And we pray that the power of the gospel will take hold of Arabs and Jews so that they will abandon their false messiahs and they receive the one and only offspring of Abraham, of David, the Lord Jesus, as the Messiah of God. And even in this country, O oh Lord, we pray that would be a great turning to the Word of God. So people will not be confused by all kinds of fictional teachings or marginal teachings from the Word of God. That people would be excited about the fact that Jesus is the center of it all. He has fulfilled it all. And we pray that the Word of God heard proclaimed, would be applied by the power of the Holy Spirit so that many in this nation would turn to Christ. Amen. In response to those truths, let us reach for our hymnals and turn to hymn number 580. Please stand as we sing verse 1 of Lead On, O King Eternal, as the elders prepare the table. I went a bit longer, I'm sorry. <laughs> 